Hello and welcome to seven jars of hot pickled peppers, all about healing after a stroke. I'm Christine, a stroke survivor. I had a pontine hemorrhagic stroke, and I understand how recovery can be a real roller coaster ride. My hope is to help other stroke survivors transform the ups, the downs, and the scary drops into something more manageable, more like the carousel. And you even get to pick your own horse. Welcome to the podcast of Seven Jars of Hot Pickled Peppers, Season 1, Episode 6, A Big Glass of Wine on an Empty Stomach. The information and conversations in these podcasts are general in nature and do not replace the care and instruction that you receive from your doctor or therapist. Please discuss your own personal needs and circumstances with your healthcare provider. You can join the conversation through email at 7 peppers at gmail.com or you can tweet us at number 7, capital J, small a-r-s or on Facebook at 7 peppers. This week's quote of the cast. If carrots got you drunk, rabbits would be messed up. By Mitch Hedberg. What the heck? (laughs) This really does relate to stroke. I promise. Before I had even been diagnosed as having had a stroke, I remember telling the doctors I felt like I would just had a big glass of wine on an empty stomach. Anyone who has experienced that feeling knows what I'm talking about. A little dizzy, a little lightheaded, maybe off balance. Like the time you've been invited out to dinner. You know you're in for a culinary treat, so you've starved yourself all day and wear your stretchy pants, ready for a feast. Everyone is in the kitchen, the nerve center of the gastronomical battlefield. The generals are, of course, running late. You find yourself seated on a stool behind the action, a passive bystander. To keep you quiet, your host places a large, long-stemmed glass of Merlot in your hand. The tantalizing aromas swirling around only accentuate your hunger, and before you know it, your large glass of wine is empty. Luckily, dinner is ready. As you stand up, looking around and trying to make your way to the dining room table, the world starts tilting a little, and you find yourself holding on to whatever is available to keep yourself upright. In this scenario, once you eat, that uncomfortable dizzy feeling subsides, as long as you don't imbibe in too much more wine. In the case of my stroke, I still struggle with those feelings. Sometimes dizzy, sometimes lightheaded, sometimes both. There's even times when I feel like the floor is moving in undulating waves beneath my feet. I can only look down while walking to move with any semblance of sobriety. The day I finally went to the doctor, I also went to work first. As I've mentioned before, I work in a steel mill, testing finished steel bars. 
Looking back, I hope my co-workers didn't think I had a little something-something in my Contigo cup as I was grabbing the steel bars to keep my balance. Initially, I thought maybe I was dizzy because I hadn't eaten enough. The little bit of lunch I forced down didn't really help. Driving home was another whole challenge. Me, who would never, ever even consider having a drink before driving home, drove home, impaired by my stroke. So why can a stroke cause those dizzy, lightheaded, drunk feelings? This week's guest is Cami Duva, a nurse practitioner from Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada. Cammie's been working in the healthcare field for over 35 years. She's earned a bachelor degree of nursing from the University of Calgary and later completed a master's degree from the University of Toronto in the Acute Care Nurse Practitioner Program. She's been working as a nurse practitioner with the adult population for about 15 years in various practice settings in southern Ontario, including an acute stroke unit at a tertiary care teaching hospital in the emergency department. And currently, she's working on a complex care unit. Her knowledge comes from her academic training and from her many years of clinical experience. Thank you so much for joining us today, Cami. We're so glad you can come and share some of your expertise. I guess to start, maybe you could just give us a quick general lesson about the parts of the brain for us people who aren't as familiar with the specifics. Sure. I I just want to say thank you for inviting me to be a part of this podcast. I'm really happy to share my knowledge, but just wish to remind everybody that this is general information. And as Ken probably mentioned earlier, if you need more specific information, you should speak with your healthcare provider. So in regards to the brain, like I'll be stating the obvious by saying that the brain is a key part of the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So our body's nervous system is the two parts peripheral nervous system and the central nervous system. So the peripheral system, that's the collection of spinal and cranial nerves that branch into virtually all parts of our body and they work to send messages to and from the central nervous system. So the central nervous system, that's composed of the brain and the spinal cord. Now, the brain has multiple subdivisions, and you could talk for years, yeah. and divide the brain into three parts. So the very top part of the brain is called cerebrum, and that's mainly two large cerebral hemispheres at the top of the brain. Now, those hemispheres can be divided, again, into different lobes, but we won't go into that in this discussion. The next is the cerebellum, and that's at the bottom of the brain, and sort of at the back of the brain, and then there's the brainstem. So the brainstem is the part of the brain that connects the spinal cord to the cerebrum. So the central nervous system 
is considered the mainframe um, computer of an intricate system of incoming and outgoing information that's traveling through billions of neurons along nerve synapses. So sensory information comes in from the peripheral system. It goes to the central nervous system where it's interpreted, integrated, and then the central nervous system sends out information that directs the motor function. So if you put your hand on hot stove, the sensory information is saying, that's hot. It goes up to the brain. The brain says, move your hand. So you know that all happens in a fraction of a second. So that's a quick demonstration of how the central and the peripheral nervous system work together. So it's a very complex but very elegant system. And as you know, if there's trouble in one part of the central nervous system, particularly in the brain, it results in trouble in the peripheral nervous system because that's the part that's informing and helping the peripheral nervous system and the the body function. So if you have, you know, trouble in the brain, Mm -hmm. and in your case, a stroke, um, and it can be a stroke that's caused by, you know, ischemia, meaning a blood clot that uh, caused disruption to the blood circulation, or it could be a bleed, and a bleed can also disrupt uh, the, the tissue in the brain and cause disruption. So those two types of strokes can cause damage to the brain, which is an integral part of the central nervous system, and the, the type of damage that is created is based on the location and the size of the stroke. Wow. I hope that sort of covers a little bit, because I know that this talk is leading about, you know, the effects of stroke, so I wanted to just briefly talk about the brain and the the nervous system and how it all works together. Yes. Oh, I appreciate because you need to have that bit of background knowledge to understand what's going on. It definitely sounds like the brain is the largest and most intricate supercomputer out there. So, so I guess if someone experiences a stroke, are some parts of the brain more prone to cause those dizzy off balance drunk feelings like I've had experienced? Yeah. So many parts of the brain, because the system is very intricate, can contribute to feelings of dizziness or loss of balance. Um, However, the parts of the brain that play a very important role in balance and coordinating movement, uh, it's the cerebellum and the brainstem. So the brainstem is so important uh, because all information travels through. That sensory information and motor output is traveling through that narrow part of the brain, you know, connecting the peripheral system to the, the central system. And also the brainstem is where there are 12 cranial nerves, which are very important uh, uh, in terms of the function of uh, vision, hearing, facial um, sensation and movement, and just to mention a few. Wow. But what's important is that one of the cranial nerves, is cranial nerve 8, mm-hmm. is in the brainstem, and in particular, it's sort of situated in the lower part.
part of the pons and upper part of the uh, medulla. And again, those are the brainstem is classified in different categories as well. Okay. Uh, but this cranial nerve eight is called the vestibulocochlear nerve, and that plays a very important role in dizziness balance. So if you have damage into the part of the brain where that particular cranial nerve is situated, right. the function of that nerve will be impaired, and that can result in impairment in your equilibrium. That particular cranial nerve is also an integral part of the vestibular system. Oh. So if I could talk about the vestibular system for a minute. <laughs> that would that okay? be great. Yes, we want to get into the vestibular system, so okay. perfect. So the vestibular system, it's a complex coordination, again, of the central and peripheral systems, which provide information that maintains our sense of equilibrium, spatial orientation, and coordination of movement and balance. So the, again, the vestibular system is also broken into peripheral and central, just as the nervous system is. Okay. So the peripheral components of the vestibular system would include vestibular organs in your inner ear, your vision, your sense of touch that sends sensory information, and that's called proprioception. Okay. And then, of course, your muscles and joints are also part of the peripheral system. Mm. The central component of the vestibular system is the brain. So that receives sensory input from the peripheral system. It integrates that information and it sends motor output based on that input to help us maintain our balance. So again... A problem with any part of this system, peripheral or central, is going to result in feelings of dizziness, vertigo, loss of balance. So when a stroke causes damage to a part of the brain involved in this system, that would be considered a central vestibular disorder. And it may respond differently to treatments than if it was a peripheral disorder. Okay. So examples of a central disorder is a stroke. Right. An example of a peripheral disorder would be if you had Meniere's disease, labyrinthitis, an inner ear infection, maybe some um, result of a, a side effect of a medication. But those things are more to do with the inner ear. Okay. By the brain. And, you know, I like to use this analogy, if you think of a car, I mean, lots of things are required, and if you think of the the steering wheel and the driver as the eyes taking right. in visual information, you think maybe of the wheels as the inner ear and the vestibular system within the inner ear, mm-hmm. and you think about um, maybe the brainstem being the axle where information from the wheels and the driver is being um, then changed into movement of the wheels. So in the case of a you know stroke in the brainstem, right. you know, if the axle isn't working properly, you can have perfectly you know, healthy tires, if you can call tires healthy, right. <laughs> well-functioning <laughs> tires, 
but they're not going to function properly because that axle isn't able to give that information to tell the wheels what to do. That is such a good analogy. That really makes it clear for me because that's, I had, as you know, my stroke on my brainstem. So that Mm -hmm. really helps me to understand some of the symptoms I've been having. So in your experience, are the dizzy, lightheaded feelings fairly common for someone who has had a stroke? So stroke symptoms are different for everybody depends on what kind of stroke you had, what location the stroke occurred, and the size of the stroke. So feelings of vertigo and symptoms that are associated with it, such as nausea and vomiting, Mm -hmm. occur more often in individuals who have a stroke, either ischemic or hemorrhagic, that affects or occurs in the cerebellum and or in the brainstem. Okay. So those two parts of the brain, the cerebellum has a different function in balance, but those two parts of the brain um, are supplied by uh, circulation and arteries that we uh, refer to as the posterior circulation. So when people present with stroke and have those symptoms, neurologists are quick to think that it could be some stroke that's occurring in the parts of the brain that are supplied to the posterior circulation, and mainly the brainstem and the cerebellum. Okay. Th- that, that really helps. So all these together are related to what um, we've heard called vestibular disturbances. Yeah. So vestibular disturbances, they can be a result of a variety, variety of causes, peripheral or central, and a vestibular disturbance can cause vertigo. Oh. So a vertigo that's caused, I'm sorry, I'm going to say that again. Central causes of vertigo comprise approximately 20% of all cases of vertigo. Okay. So approximately 80% of vertigo is caused by peripheral disturbances. Okay, and the peripheral is more related to the inner ear, is that correct? Absolutely. So, Cami, in your experience, is there any expected timeline for how long these symptoms can last? Well, timelines are really hard to pin down, and they are dependent as well on the etiology. So, what is the cause of the vertigo? And, you know, is it peripheral? Is it central? Um, As we already talked about, stroke Mm -hmm. results in vertigo. It's difficult to say the timeline, but it generally is thought that central vertigo takes longer uh, to improve than peripheral causes of vertigo. Okay, so that I'm still having symptoms is still within sort of a normal expectancy that I should still be working on this in rehab? Well, every individual is individual. Right. And I think if there's still improvement, that therapy and strategies should be continued. Okay. Well, that's good. So I know during my rehab, the therapists gave me different exercises that were geared towards vestibular disturbances. 
So what are your thoughts on exercises or remedies to help someone who may have these symptoms? Well, again, treatments will be different based on if it's peripheral or central. But we'll just talk about the central. Okay. Uh, so people with central vestibular disturbance, you know, due to a stroke like you, right. can participate in vestibular rehabilitation therapy. So vestibular rehabilitation therapy is a treatment administered by a specially trained therapist. It could be a physiotherapist or an occupational therapist. Okay. So this therapy involves exercises that provide repeated small doses of controlled movements that provoke the symptoms. So the goal is to desensitize the balance system and enhance the fine-tuning that's required for long-term compensation. Unfortunately, people with central vestibular disturbances often don't get the same results as individuals with peripheral vestibular disturbance. They take longer to improve or may have limited improvement, again, depending on the size and location of the damage. Right. Unfortunately, often this vestibular rehabilitation therapy provokes undesirable symptoms, as you know, Mm -hmm. such as nausea, and this can limit the duration and the benefit of the therapy. Sometimes using medications that minimize that, you know, feeling of nausea in conjunction with the therapy, it can be helpful. Okay. Um, In my reading and, you know, up-to-date resources, there aren't a whole lot of studies at this time um, on uh, vestibular rehabilitation therapy with people who have central vertigo. There's a few observational and non-controlled studies uh, that suggest there there could be benefit. So since there's very little research data regarding the benefit of this type of therapy in central vertigo, more research is needed. However, it's recommended that people with central vertigo try this kind of therapy because treatment options are so limited at this time. Right. I know for me, when I was doing my exercises initially, (laughs) it was a new weight loss program because of my nausea that it brought on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And you're not alone. Uh, That's good to know. You know, just knowing you're not alone, that really helps someone, you know, give them that extra desire to keep going and keep trying to know that there's help out there and there's other people who, who can understand what you're going through. Yeah. And I mean, if the symptoms don't improve, then using strategies to improve your life is, you know, also an option, you know, modifying your lifestyle, you know, avoiding the things that aggravate those symptoms or limiting your exposure to things that aggravate your symptoms. Uh, Medications can be used intermittently for, you know, managing nausea and uncomfortable symptoms. And then again, you know, support through, you know, work um, through any society that has, you know, people sharing information about similar uh, symptoms is very beneficial, like your podcast. 
you know, and like you said, just knowing you're not alone and seeing that other people are experiencing these symptoms and, you know, sometimes just word of mouth and hearing what's helped somebody can be motivating, inspirational, and may even help you. Uh, well, I know this has been motivating for me and has definitely increased my understanding. You've answered so many questions and you've made me feel better about what I've been experiencing. Like, it's not a good feeling, but it's normal for having the type of stroke that I have. So I really appreciate you answering all these questions and sharing your expertise with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. You know, <laughs> I'm always a phone call away. Yeah, and I, I predict that we may be hearing from Cami again in the future, which I so look forward to. So any last comments, Cami? You know, my hat's off to you for remaining so positive, working toward recovery, and sharing your story to help other people. Thank you again, Cami. And to our listeners, please ensure to talk to your health care provider before attempting any exercises or self-diagnosis. And speaking to our quote, if carrots could make those rabbits drunk, a stroke in some parts of the brain could be the Merlot of strokes. Now it's time for Speak to the Tweet. A listener asks, what's the difference between a traumatic brain injury and a stroke? That's a great question. While the causes are very different, the outcomes can be very similar. Please listen to episode two, Horsin' Around, where we talk with a survivor of a traumatic brain injury and compare the similarities. This week's Joke of the Week. Hey Ken, did you know wine doesn't make you fat? Really? Are you sure? I'm sure. It uh, makes you lean. Lean? Against tables, chairs, (laughs) walls, other people. (laughs) I know my central vestibular disturbance had the same effect. This week's Stroke Link. Hey, Christine, how are you doing this week? I'm good, Ken. How are you? Oh, I'm doing really well, too. Uh, man, I really enjoyed that uh, conversation from uh, Cammie. Wow, she's uh, she's full of information. I know, I know. You know, I was talking with Cammie before the podcast, and she told me about a fantastic website for people with vestibular challenges. I know, vestibular.org, out of Portland, Oregon. That's the same one, hey? It is. So I had a chance to actually look at that. Um, Some of the topics that you can click on uh, in that website, which is really professionally put together, um, uh, there's all kinds of information about vestibular disturbances. There's uh, resources and ideas for finding help and support, which, you know, everybody involved in uh, stroke uh, needs help with. I know, it's great. 
I even found a virtual patient toolkit that is amazing. It has steps to follow to help with diagnosis, treatment, and recovery, although it does not replace going to your healthcare professional. Oh, no, that's for sure. You know, when I was looking around in there, uh, I found the information was really easy to read, um, easy to use. It was very well organized. It's a nice site. It is. Uh, here's a small taste of some of the information you can find on it. I am paraphrasing. Here's one, one tidbit. Vestibular disorders cause dizziness, vertigo, and other symptoms that can't be seen and are difficult for others to understand. Diagnosis and treatment are not always straightforward. Vestibular disorders can affect a person in many ways and are often unpredictable, occurring on a constant or intermittent basis. Go to their website. There's so much more than this little morsel there. Yeah, thank you, Christine. You know, there is help and information out there, and we recommend uh, that you give this website a look. Vestibular.org. Last but not least, remember FAST, F-A-S-T. If you or a loved one experience any changes in your face, arm, or speech, time to get yourself to the hospital quickly. You can call 911 in Canada for emergencies, or for inquiries, you can call HealthLink in Canada at 1-866-408-5465 and talk to a healthcare professional. Hey, so that's our show for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and leave us a comment on Podbean. If you have any questions or comments, jokes or ideas for future topics, don't hesitate to get a hold of us. Please also visit our webpage at www.7jarsofhotpickledpeppers.com. So until next time, remember, everything will be okay in the end. If it's not okay, then it isn't the end. Goodbye and good health.